Hello and welcome to A Cast of Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Forum. I'm Elaine Stroud, Chief Executive of the Entrepreneurs Forum, and together with Sally Cowling, our Head of Marketing, we've been talking to entrepreneurs from all over the Northeast about what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. We're getting the real insight into their lives and businesses. And welcome to a cast of entrepreneurs. We're really delighted with this cast that we brought together this afternoon. And I'd like to introduce you to Amy Mooney from Gas Angel Heating. Hello, Amy. Hi, Elaine. Hi. Um, to Owen Brennan yes, from hello. CBI. Yes, hello. And finally, last but not least, Joanne, is Joanne Warren from Lumo. Hi, Elaine. Um, well, it's great that you could be here with us this afternoon, and we're going to get straight into the questions because I know our listeners will just really want to get into it. Um, and we're going to take you back. Some of you further back than others. So we'll start with Owen, who's got less far to go. <laughs> Owen's the youngest person in the room, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, when you were back in your school days, did you have an inkling that you always wanted to set up your own business? So my mum's my kind of always had her own businesses, so that kind of drove me to, yeah, I've kind of been around businesses that have been founded. Um, but more so, there were sweet shops and bars and things and cafes that we ran, um, and kind of we... Uh, while I was still in college and we opened up a bar together and um, the money from that actually helped start CBI as well so yeah from when I was in school um, I'd been around kind of entrepreneurs and um, starting my own business side of that so yeah I knew that I wanted to be in business and start my own didn't know exactly what it was going to be but I've been interested in tech and I've been programming since I was about seven so yeah eventually connected the dots together and figured out so you never really thought you'd be an employee of someone else you were always thinking what can I do here what's my idea yeah exactly I kind of saw the same thing when I've worked a few different jobs like um, washing dishes and I was assistant chef and working in bars and things like that. And while I was doing it, I'd just kind of do things my own way a little bit. And yeah, I think that kind of showed what was to come really. So <laughs> let, less compliant. Yeah. yeah, let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put words yeah. into your mouth. And Amy, yeah. Amy, were you thinking when you were younger, you've had a, a number of different businesses and you're into your second significant yes. business now yes. but when you were back in college and school days were you thinking that this is where you wanted to go no not at all I'm, I'm quite sort of the opposite to you Owen I didn't know anybody in business so I mean I didn't even really at the time so like you know we we were born and we kind of grew up on a council estate and so nobody went to university nobody had their own businesses they worked in factories or retail or and so it didn't even cross my mind until I'd got into the workplace and I, I started off working in sales and then marketing and then I could see the impact that being good at sales and marketing could have on a business and when I first started to talk about going into business with my parents there I mean we're really lovely and supportive but they were like you know you know if it was that easy everybody would do it and you know nobody in our family's ever done anything like that and I think that made me even more determined to be quite honest and then I had a really bad boss and needed to get out and do something different and <laughs> that's how it started really. Well sometimes that is the catalyst isn't yeah. it a bad day at work yeah. inspires you to say I can do better than this. So when you were back in your school days, were the careers advisors that would have suggested that perhaps people could become entrepreneurs or was it more not the experience that perhaps it could have been? No, it was, um, I think when they did the assessment on me, I, I liked, I enjoyed PE and it sort of it came out in, in terms of being a PE teacher, but I definitely didn't want to teach. And I'd kind of heard about, you know, I'd been on holiday a few times and I'd stayed in hotels and I liked hotels. And so I decided that maybe I wanted to be a hotel manager <laughs> because I just, you know, I liked the idea of being on holiday, clearly not understanding that it would definitely not be anything like that. And I can remember mentioning it to the hotel, um, to the careers advisor and she said, no, no, that, that actually has hasn't come up anywhere on the uh, anywhere on the list so <laughs> stick to being a PE teacher can you imagine if your life would have been very different if yeah. you'd followed that advice <laughs> and Joanne Owen's obviously grown up with role models around him and could see an opportunity to go into business whereas Amy your upbringing was quite different how about yours um so so for me I think um I always want knew I wanted to do something with like finance or whether it would be um sounds quite boring now but either like in banking or accountancy I, I like doing numbers and um, my dad was a maths teacher so I think that's where I got the math side of things from I wasn't good at spelling but uh that came that came along the way that, that that's not so so difficult once you once you uh get into the workplace I suppose but then um I think that my mum was a teacher as well and she was a head teacher so I saw her running a school so I think for me it was like yeah I want to be self-sufficient and be able to make my own decisions 
and be able to like progress the career ladder ladder but then once when you're in the accountancy profession and you quite clearly say like are you an entrepreneur because you're joining an accountancy practice because then there's like lots of different partners and it's already quite an established business it's quite a different experience than actually doing accounts and then seeing how to run a business um and I think I quite quickly realized that yeah, I don't like to be that answerable to that many people because <laughs> you never know which one you, you've got to be answerable to. So that was like, yeah, I'll get the opportunity to, to branch off and do something different. I knew I wanted to uh, be my own boss, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I've got Lee, but he's uh, very easy going. So it's like, I'm just my own boss. <laughs> but I think it's a common theme, isn't it, with entrepreneurs that actually having that autonomy to make your own decisions mm-hmm. is something that you all seem to relish. Mm-hmm. De- definitely for me. I think it's very, very difficult when you've got uh, lots of different ideas and everyone, oh, no, I can't do that. Or, oh, that doesn't fit in with this. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just go and do it myself. Yeah. yeah so you remove that barrier of frustration of having to... Yeah, yeah. 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 hold everything yeah. back. Hold everything back. Yeah. It's actually, it's your your decision, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So for, for you, Amy, it was a bad day at work that motivated you to do your own thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, in hindsight, it was the best thing that could have happened. But at the time, it felt like the biggest crisis ever. So I'd worked in corporate and marketing departments for many years. I then went onto the agency side and I'd... Um, I'd moved up in a specific agency where, and I was a director of that agency, and we um, we took a percentage of the profits that we made from specific clients. I was living on my own at the time with my little boy, and you know, nursery fees. I think at the time was something like I don't know, um, nine hundred pound a month that I was paying because he was just really small. I was waiting for a commission, kind of a commission check to come in, and the owner of the agency at the time decided just to change the, um, the commission structure, and so it was like two days before the. Commission check was going to come in and I was reliant on it and it was just that feeling of sort of being beholden to somebody else's you know authority I guess um and so I you know I tried to reason with this person at the time and I tried to explain that it wasn't fair and I just thought you know I could I could have went down a legal route on it but I just thought no you know this, that's when I just thought I've got to do this for myself and I don't want to ever be put in that position again where you know if, if things go wrong then it's going to be my fault nobody else's fault and that was the, what kind of gave me the the fire in my belly to mm-hmm. go on and, and do, you know, do what I've done, um, you know, since that point. Um, and that's not something that you can take with you forever because that kind of maybe mm-hmm. that anger and frustration might be good at the very beginning, but it's not like a sustainable or a healthy way to kind of like, you know, motivate yourself in a business, but it was definitely the driver for me at the, at the beginning. So what was it like on day one? You've handed in your notice, you've left yeah, the business, <laughs> you've still got that £900 <laughs> yeah. bill to pay. What was it like on that very first day or that first week when you suddenly realise it dawns on you, it's now my responsibility to win the work and bring the paychecks in? To be honest, that was, you become almost uber resourceful overnight, I think, when you start your own business and you realise it's all on on you. And um, it's not that there's not opportunities there in the past, but maybe you just don't see them or you're not looking out for them. So you maybe, whereas you might have worked at, I don't know, sort of 80% for the majority of the time, you're at 120%, particularly in that first year when you first start, you know, when you first start off. And I think because there's so much excitement and enthusiasm, momentum comes quite quickly afterwards, keeping that going as your business progresses through the years is obviously what's the tricky thing. The first year really is... I mean, I felt like it was actually, it was only uphill, you know, from the bottom kind of thing at that at that point. But, uh, so you were running on adrenaline yeah, to some absolutely. extent, weren't you? Mm-hmm. And Owen, you started your business when you were still... Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you were still at university, at Teesside University, having yeah. studied a digital yeah, degree? Um, so I, I did a bachelor's degree in business management with marketing. So while I was there, I volunteered for the High Tide Foundation. Um, so I was with the High Tide Foundation for about four years. That was my initial step into the world of maritime. Um, and yeah, I work with maritime clients. The High Tide helps students get into the maritime sector. So I got to speak to lots of different people there. And yeah, as I was kind of volunteering the high tide, eventually I got a job there as well. Um, but while I was working there, because the individuals that sit on the board run different maritime companies, and they saw that I was doing lots of tech stuff within high tide, kind of getting, going my own way within high tide and trying to do tech stuff in there. And they kind of identified that and I started doing a bit of freelance work with um, the maritime companies that were there, so doing some data analysis and programming software development. So kind of what we're doing now um, as CBI, I was doing as a freelancer for a while. Um, so I did that 
um, business management degree. I was hired by the university to do some lecturing. And then I did a master's in applied data science after that. Um, so that's kind of where it all came together. And I thought, okay, I've got some freelance clients going on there while I'm doing um, the high tide side. I've got the lecturing bit. I've got my applied data science master's. And yeah, it just kind of one day it came to going, okay, well, I now need another person. So it has to become a business. So we start scaling from there. And yeah. So I guess in that first early stage when you actually had your clients before you had the idea of having a business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was a, it was a nice place to start from, I think. Um, and yeah, being able to... Uh, we still have all of those clients now to this day. Um, so it's, it's and that's amazing, really, isn't it? Because the clients are saying to you, this is the problem we're trying to solve. And they've identified in you someone who can solve that problem. They're not sure how to do it. And you're thinking, I can solve this problem. And you marry up the two and yeah. CBI was born. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of a large part of it. We knew there were um, identifiable problems and they knew the problems that we could solve. But there was the other aspect of it, of the whole data science piece, which no one in Maritime really knew about or cared about in terms of the machine learning development and AI, the possibility that this was nearly two years ago before ChatGPT came out. So I was talking about AI and everyone's like, well, that doesn't exist. Let's terminate what's going on. <laughs> then six months later, everyone's like, oh, yeah. AI is happening. So yeah, we're trying to identify it. So it's been good from like ChatGPT and all that coming out. It's been good for us to be able to explain, look, we take a model like this and apply it to Maritime. Um, so yeah, there was the aspect of solvable problems, but identifying problems that could be solved in new and interesting ways is where the growth's coming from. And did you get a lot of support from the university when you were starting off? Because I know you were based in Victoria House at Teesside yeah. University in the early days. Yeah, uh, so yeah, the university's been great. Um, we're part of a few different programs at the university. So we were in yeah Victoria, um, yeah Victoria Building. Um, we also received some grant funding from Digital City to buy our first equipment. See, so machine learning computers are quite big, expensive computers. So we got those grant funded, which was good. We've got us on our first feet. Um, office space. Um, we got a few intern staff to begin with, which then we've now fully hired them as full-time staff. Um, and then uh, I also hired some of my lecturers from the university as well. So I was able to kind of take the skill sets that obviously everything that I knew they knew. So it was kind of a nice gradual, if I needed to hand off projects and I could give it to um, my lecturers, which which was a good That's interesting though, isn't it? Because you think of the lecturers as being more interested in the academic research side of things. How did you persuade them to join a startup? Uh, it was identifying the right problems to work on. Um, so we do quite a lot of work within the company of um, explaining these maritime problems. And because a lot of the time, the, the data science work that happens in the background these days are a lot in e-commerce um, and kind of that side of it where... I think data scientists aren't that interested in it, but that's kind of where the money's been for the last few years in data science. Whereas we were looking at the maritime section, we look up there. there are these giant ships coming into ports. There's these thousands of tons worth of goods coming in. You're having an effect on the real world and being able to explain those problems and the fact that their solutions can help physical things move is kind of the selling point of all of it. Um, so we still do that to this day when new employees come in, explaining what the maritime sector actually is and what it involves and you know, the world doesn't, stop that uh, doesn't work without all of these ships moving um and then kind of our bigger story around um kind of with ai and things a lot of things being automated but things will always have to physically move and if we can help facilitate that with the digital tools then it's building that story around it helped us to pull people away from academia a little bit well there was one statistic you told us earlier on which was the time it takes to get a good through an item of a product through yep. customs, you've reduced that time from what was it from four days to four seconds or uh, something? Four, like that? I, know, I wish I, uh, it was uh, <laughs> so around two hours to four seconds. Um, so that's for GVMS vehicles. So, um, kind of, yeah, trucks coming into the UK, usually they'd come in, they'd have to be cleared through customs. And um, by using statistical models and um, a cloud system, we've been able to take that time down to around two seconds, which is. Uh, yeah, allowed the companies that we've deployed it with be able to scale much faster. Um, and we're kind of turning that into a joint venture with some of our clients as well and taking it to the wide market, out to the Commonwealth as well, because um, it's similar customs laws in the UK as there is in the Commonwealth. So we're starting our bit of international growth, which is... Well, we might come exciting. on to that yeah. in a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Um, but I'm going to turn to Joanne next and, and ask you, you, you left uh, established accounting practice to set up on your own. What was that like in those first months when it was just you and Lee? Did you always know that you'd made the right decision to jump 
ship yeah. was that the right terms yeah. uh, what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome that you weren't necessarily anticipating in that first few weeks probably that the accountancy practice was still across the corridor was probably the, <laughs> probably the, the biggest challenge um I, I think no i think straight away I, I mean at first you don't you think oh, i don't really want to leave the accountancy profession it's what i've studied for it's what i like but i i think quite quickly we, we could see that we could move quite quickly and decide what we wanted to do ourselves and like not just the R&D was the main focus but there's lots you can do around that so for example um, you can be part of the trusted advisor team their accountant knows that you're not going to to do that compliance work and try and get the client from that point of view but we can add something because we've got that skill set so we can help plan their R&D from the very beginning right through to the end so like become like part of that um, the strategy of how they use the R&D to grow their business is probably more advisory led rather than just doing the claim at the end so I think we quite quickly realised that we could work with clients that we would never really get in front of when you're part of the accountancy profession because if they're bigger clients then they normally are with one of the big four um, and then again that's the excitement of not having to tell a client um, you've got tax to pay it's like, oh, we've got this. what can we help you do with the money that you get back or you save and planning that with them it's just a much nicer space to be in and I and I think for Lee and I as well, it, it can be quite tough in accountancy profession. I think because um, you've got a lot of people, especially young, young people coming through, which is fantastic. Um, but like, like with all the digital age coming through, things were changing quite quickly. And I think um, you could see that that. Well, the best way to say it is like they're very ambitious. So sometimes that can cause issues because it's it's just a difficult dynamic to try and work through because there's a lot of partners want different things for different reasons, like I was saying. So sometimes you find that you're often in situations you didn't want to be in because somebody else can do that role maybe perceived better than you so I think for Lee and I it was like getting out of that space and really being able to say actually we are very good at what we do we can do this and, and seeing how different Lee is around the team there's like eight of us now and the team really engaging with him and um, being able to, to, to do things that we wouldn't have done in an accountancy profession I think it's, it's a massive um, culture change I think is, is the main thing for us making sure we've got a happy happy team whereas it, it wasn't always the case prior to that and Lee and I experienced a lot of that so we, we wanted to make sure that going forward in our business that the culture was everyone felt happy and safe. Managing people is yeah. really really hard yeah. and you have to be clear as the leader if people will mirror your behaviour and you're responsible for setting that culture aren't you and that tone. How have you managed to do that in your business and have you come across any challenges with establishing a culture that you really want to see embedded in your organisation? Yeah, I think just touching on that, seeing how you don't want things to be, and that you know, I think um, I do read a lot of books when I say I probably read a chapter and then change my mind and read a different book because I'm a bit like that but like um, Simon Sinek is quite good with that of you know the why but more so about the culture so if your team are happy and feels safe coming to work in a trusted environment then your clients are going to be happy um, and I think that's a massive thing so I think being able to share that with the team and setting out those core like your vision your mission your core values your behaviors at the very beginning and when you recruit someone you going through that whole procedure and the team being able to be in a safe space to pull each other up if that's not what's happening so making sure that everyone is supportive I mean you don't get it right all the time because we're human beings we don't always do things that you that is the best until you've gone through it and um, but I think for us it was we don't we know what we don't want so therefore we can really plan of how we do want it to be. So did you establish those right at the beginning Joanne when you first set Lumo up did you know what those core values were from day one? 100% yeah 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 so it was around about like trust loyalty um, being able to support one another, enjoying learning from each other. Like everybody's got a different skill set, just because they might not be really good at something that you can do really well doesn't mean to say that you're better than them. It's like you, your skill sets will complement each other. And I think making sure that 
that that is the culture going forward and um, that's the case and you've got to be I mean we do have quite a lot of banter in Lumo so you do have to be still thick-skinned <laughs> but but it's in, in a nice positive happy way rather than anything negative so so the team tells me it's not just my assumption of that that happening but yeah definitely you, you know what you don't want I think is a really good thing. And Amy I'm really interested because you've had two very very different businesses you've had the marketing agency organisation and now you work in a renewable energy business which has got gas fitters and boilers and it's very very different how have you managed to create a culture in your second business that is one that you can live by yeah so yeah the cultures are well i'm actually not sure if the culture itself is that different but the the style of the business is clearly quite different i mean first of all um gas angel and the sector that we operate in is very male dominated and it is changing it's progressing but it's maybe not progressing as quickly as um, other sectors but that's great for us because it means that there's lots of opportunity here going back to sort of culture and um, from an agency and marketing perspective i actually to be honest, I found a lot of it, being in it for sort of 20 years, really quite fad-driven. You know, pool tables or mm. foosball tables or like slides and I just, or like, you know, pizzas and beers um, at lunch. That doesn't detract from, you know, toxic behaviour or it doesn't, you know, it doesn't detract from lots of the negative things that can mask it, but it, it's often it's just a big sticky plaster and the, the problem's still there. So a little bit like what you've just said there, Joanna, and you going into this business and... Um, Everybody who, everyone who I work with from a, um, from a staffing perspective to suppliers to manufacturers, everybody's really quite straightforward, says how they feel quite, you know, or what they think about something and they're not, they're not shy in, in terms of like expressing their opinion. And so trust, like you mentioned, is, is absolutely key and just being open and honest. Um, and, you know, there, there are lots of changes and things that still need to be made, but it's, yeah, it's, and it's something that we are working on all the time. But when we're interviewing, other than obviously looking at a specific skill sets and um, we talk a lot about change because the sector is changing quite a bit and we know as a business we you know we're very open to change and we need to be able to adapt um quickly as and when and we can kind of there's a, a bit of a test that we've got that, that we a change test we call it and we can um, we, we're able to score uh, candidates based on their willingness to change their experience of change in the past and how they've coped with it and up to now it's been absolutely you know it's been really super accurate there's only been a couple of times it hasn't worked and it's been when we've um, when we didn't add that test in at the interview. Ooh, um, that's interesting, isn't it? So is that a test that you've developed yourselves to as part of the interview process? Well, um, no, I can't take any credit for it. It's actually um, a consultant who we've been working with around um, sort of HR and culture and uh, like sort of growth performance and so on. And it's been adapted to us and to our sector, but it's, I mean, I can send it to you. It's actually, it is really interesting. And you can also test yourself and see what, see, you know, where you come out and everybody who's done it, it's, it's, it's super accurate. It's uh, it's really interesting. Well, I find anything around yeah. behaviour <laughs> yeah. and, and profiling super interesting because humans are interesting, aren't yeah. they? Mm-hmm. Um, Owen, in your business, you're growing very fast. Um, from when did you establish? Is it three uh, years ago? A year and ten months. Yeah. Yeah. So, like under yeah. two years, and yeah. you've grown rapidly. You've already told us you're the youngest person in the business. <laughs> How do you then get everybody sort of? singing from the same song sheet and heading in the vision that you wanted to create as the founder? Uh, so that was uh, when we first started the business, it was a big focus um, because we knew uh, in the sector and if we wanted to do it right and we knew our vision, we knew we were going to be growing quickly so we had to set the principles in place and I can't take any credit for that whatsoever. That was my co-founder um, and fiancé, um, Hannah. So she, uh, her background is a master's in international development so she understands people and connections and all of that side really well. Um, when she started saying about culture, I was like, Oh, no, I'm just going to do the tech and AI. Um, I'm glad you kind of brought us back down to earth because now as we're scaling, it's been really important to, yeah, being able to sell that whole vision piece. Um, I completely agree about the the whole thing with the culture, people sticking on slides mm. and pizza days and yeah. beer days and all of that. Um, I think it's, yeah, uh, what good developers and good data scientists, things we found want is a good salary, um, nice office environment um, and fast enough equipment so that they're not stuck waiting for things to happen. And then if they have all of that, then great rather than all these things that you know, people see filling office with and calling a culture um yeah but setting the yeah the vision and principles within there for everyone to guide towards um and yeah Hannah's been great at setting that down so i can't take credit for any of that <laughs> <laughs> 
How do you keep that going then? So you start out with a new employee. How how do you keep them as enthusiastic as you are about your business? Uh, Selling, so selling the whole maritime and having a digital effect on all the moving goods is a huge part of it and telling that story. So we've kind of got a nice story around it in a package is a huge piece, but being able to show that kind of the evidence of the work we've already done in selling that uh, is really important. And then in terms of like, yeah, when we bring on new staff, it's yeah, kind of works really close with them to understand where within the data science cycle they want to be um, and but allowing them to expand within there. So there's a huge amount of parts within a data science cycle from data collection to processing to the machine learning, AI, deploying all of it, and people find their space within there. But if we can sell the journey um, and fit that into the culture, then, yeah, uh, it makes a much better environment. But again, that's, that's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost creating ownership, isn't it, with mm-hmm. it throughout the business that they're building the same passion that, you, that you've got as founders. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. So you've all mentioned that you're working with another a co-founder. Mm-hmm. How how does that play out in the in the day-to-day running of you of your businesses? Amy, you've <laughs> you've moved to to join your husband's business. Yes. So it's interesting. Um yeah, it is. So obviously we're a family business now and so the dynamic with a family business um is so we talk about honesty and we talk about trust. So there's all there's trust there, you know. So no matter what, there's trust there, and we know that we we absolutely want the same thing. Sometimes agreeing how we get the same, how we get there, is where the uh, where you know sometimes um, the challenges can uh, can appear. And t- to be honest, we work on it day by day, and we're learning all the time. We've been in a business together now for three years, um, and. Yeah, we, we are, we're learning all the time and we learn, we, we know that we can't, so we say eight o'clock is our switch off time. We can't talk about work after 8 p.m. We can't talk about work when we're sitting at home with the kids and having dinner. Um, and sometimes, especially well, it's, if, if good news comes up, we just forget about that. We quickly, we end up telling each other, but then that can quite quickly trickle onto something else. In my previous business as well, I also worked with um, my other business partner, um, who's a really good friend, member of the Entrepreneurs, Entrepreneurs Forum, Lisa. So I've worked with my best friend as well. So I've never not worked with somebody who I've really known and really trusted and obviously there's the downsides because all you talk about when you're outside of work all you want to talk about is work because it's you know it's, it's exciting and, and if you're an entrepreneur and you're passionate about what you do you know it, it's difficult but then that can also be a downside as well particularly if you you know stick to the back teeth of each other and <laughs> you just need, a, need to, to get away and kind of break free but yeah it's interesting and for you owen do you have any rules around not talking about work after a certain time uh we do have the rules but i can break them all the time so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah so I, I mean like most most tech developers like the best programming times like midnight so um, <laughs> i'll get up i'll think, sit in bed and think of an idea and okay i have to get up and go do it but no it's it's been yeah really good kind of setting up the business and growing it with hannah um it's been stressful because we're planning a wedding during all of it as well so we're getting married in two months time as well um so yeah there's all of that while growing the business um but a, a big part of it that's been really helpful is having dominic our um he's come in as a director over the last year um so there's been, it was me and hannah that founded we started up um dominic was in as a non-exec director and now he's kind of joined as our chief information officer but ha- having him as a mediator has been <laughs> kind of the best thing to drive it forward so yeah if we're if we're disagreeing on something um then having a third voice in there has been very helpful and for you joanne yeah, so uh, myself and Lee, well, we've, we've worked together for a long time within the county practice, so we've known each other, God, could be like nearly, what, 17 years, I think now. So, yeah, he's my work husband, and I think I'm his work wife, so we get on very well. We all I trust him, he's, you know, um, he's, he's, he's good to be around and with skill sets complement each other. So where I might be focused more on the tax side of things, he's very much um, more around business advisory. So he looks after all our accounts and I don't have to do accounts anymore. So he looks after our accounts, you know, so his skills complement my skills and vice versa. So it works very well. And when, when we go out, we try not to talk about work but you, you do like you say you do because it's just like it's in your dna isn't it it's like every single day um but we we, we work very well together so there hasn't been any issues um i think that's because he's very easy going <laughs> and would <laughs> you say then to if it's someone thinking of starting a business would you advise them to go and find a, a good friend and do it as a co-founder or would you say it's fine just go and do it by yourself 
I'd say founder, co-founder, definitely. Um, being able to share the responsibility of all of it. Um, I mean, there's lots of programs out there to find co-founders as well. Um, and specifically in tech, there's the Y Combinator. Um, it's a great one for sharing co-founders. If you're on the business side but want to find a technical co-founder or either way, um, it's really good. Uh, but yeah, I think it adds just a, a, any external perspective um, is great and getting just second ideas on things every day is, uh, yeah, very helpful. Yeah. And other than your co-founders, are there any other people who you turn to? You've got your mediator yeah. in between you. <laughs> oh, and um, Joanne and Amy, are there any other people who you seek advice from external to the company? Yeah. So I, externally, I mean, I've kind of, throughout the years, I've lent on the entrepreneurs from hugely for uh, for this type of thing so either from more of the you know the formal mentoring but even just being at um, different events and meeting sometimes the most unlikely people who once you get into conversation could be from a you know different sector to you um, and possibly a very different walk of life to, um, from where you are but um, have ha- had similar issues or have got you know have solved different problems and you know are really happy and willing to share and um, that I think I think having a network having a, a strong network of like-minded people around you not necessarily from the same sector although I do do that as well in, t- uh, in terms of networking within the same sector is just crucial and I think yeah I'm not sure if I would be where I am today with the businesses with, without them, if I'm honest. Always good to have an external perspective, oh, always, I think, yeah, isn't just, it? Uh-huh, absolutely. I think one thing um, Sir Peter Vardy said, and he was the original founder of the Entrepreneurs Forum, he said, nobody got to where they are today without a lot of help from other people. It's not a little bit of help. It's It's a a lot lot of help. And I think people are willing to help and support you. Joanne, do you get help from outside of yeah, we do. Your yeah. industry yeah. as well as outside of your business. Definitely, yeah. So we, we've had, um, when we first started up, we, we worked with, um, and we still work with him, a, a, um, a man called Anthony Brown. So he was from a company called Robust Management Solutions, and he helped us like the strategy of the business how and how because we've got ideas of how to do it but like how do you actually put that down and implement it we still work with him so um almost like our he's not a non-exec but almost like that so we have quarterly meetings with him um, and also did a bit of personal development with pete wilkinson who was part of the forum um and we used the mentoring side of the forum as well and spoke to different people just as if you're thinking about doing different things we also worked a bit with um craig huntington who won mentor of the year with the forum at the last awards um he's been really good and then um as part of this stage as well that was really good another like a, a core group where they make me much more regularly as in like once a month and there's probably between 12 and 15 people in a room completely different sectors but you'd get a speaker similar to the forum would get a good speaker in but then like on specifics like if it's about people and culture for example and you'd work through those issues that was really that was really good and the chair that i worked with was andrew marsh um and i still still speak to him um, and he suggested uh, rather than sometimes go for a non-exec because then they've got legal responsibilities etc you could do like an advisory board so you could have different advisory board at different times so you, you know if you're looking to go into a different market or international for example you'd make sure you had three or four people you can sit with and talk that through and then you can close that advisory board down and do something different so you're not committed to two or three people and you're paying those fees all the time so I think that's where we'll go down and and have some sort of advisory board when we're trying to decide what to do going forward. Yeah Um, advisory boards can work really well because you can dip in and out of them and also if you've got to just define exactly what advice you're looking for (laughs) so is it on strategy is it on new markets and then go and find somebody once you've developed that term of reference of what you want who can actually help you yeah definitely and very much so like what what, what you said as well about uh, going to the forum events like the speakers that were on um, that's really good and like-minded people that you speak to um, that's really helpful as well because most of us normally have the same issues because it's either um, cash or people (laughs) thanks usually (laughs) too and actually it's just business problems yeah and it doesn't matter what sector you're in people are solving business problems and in organizations like the forum someone has always solved the problem you're facing today you've just got to find that person and have that conversation Yeah. yeah now if you could be if you think of any company globally and you could just jump on the wall and be a fly on the wall in someone else's boardroom i've always wanted to do that to just go and be a bit nosy and see what really happens behind closed doors where would you like to be a fly i'd go anthropic um interesting ones they were recently bought out by google um and they're kind of if you think of open ai who generated created chat gpt were bought out by microsoft 
Anthropic are back to Google. They do some really interesting things in AI, um, owning their own models, putting them out public. Um, but there's a lot that happens in closed doors, and they're not that public with certain aspects of how the business works and things. So there's a lot of interesting things. That would be fascinating. So it's Anthropic, and they're the yeah. chat GPT of Google. Yeah, so, so Google have a few different divisions. Google have DeepMind, Google Brain, and Anthropic is the latest one they have up. Um, DeepMind, uh, they do a lot of public research, and Anthropic's the kind of hidden AI bit of Google where some interesting things, I think, are going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's why you want to go and have a look, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you want to be nosy yeah. and investigate <laughs> yeah. and see. And that's cutting-edge technology and you'll probably be in the room with some of the brightest ideas and, and, and get new ideas that you haven't even thought about. Yeah. I think that would be fascinating. Amy, would you be in some kind of ESG, sustainability type boardroom, I'm guessing? And no, no, not really, to be quite honest, because um, on, in terms of ESG, um, the, the people within my sector are really open about talking about this anyway. So it's we're all it's all new to you know, to the majority of us, and we, we, we're aware of um, you know the climate change crisis, and we we know that there's way more than what we can that we can all be doing way more. And so those within my sector are quite open in terms of talking about what they're doing and how they're doing it and the results that they've had. So I wouldn't I don't think I feel, feel like I would need to be a fly in the wall. I think it would just be more of an, a nosiness perspective out of um. <laughs> Probably just as we were talking before we came on air about Elon Musk's boardroom and yeah. the Twitter boardroom, I think it would be possibly a bit of a terrifying place to be. But um, if you're super, a fly, you could go yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. Yeah. I thought you would have said that one actually. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I think I think for me, I think um, would be Apple. Yeah. yeah, like from the innovation side would be great, but also to see more so how they like they they're a big corporation. But they almost run it as a smaller business. They don't necessarily have like managers and things. So it's interesting. I think that would be interesting. So how does that actually work? Or how do you actually get from the CEO down, get the information out to the team? And how does that all collaborate together? So I think that'd be good from that point of view. And, and someone like Richard Branson, I think, would be interesting because he's got so many different types of businesses. But that global brand is virgin. And then you, but you've got it all like different sectors. So is it possible to like, do the, all those different things and do them well. How does he? How does he manage to do that? Um, I know he'll have some really great people he works with, but I think that would be really interesting. But I think for me as well, like I'm a massive. This is going to sound so sad. Massive Madonna fan. She's got <laughs> lots of businesses, and then she keeps reinventing herself. Not yeah. to everyone's tastes, I do understand, but uh, I think just seeing what she is really like. Madonna, yeah, and just see how she runs. Yeah, what's she really like? And how does she manage her business? What's she like in the boardroom? Is she as bossy as they make out? Maybe not. But yeah, I think that would just from a, a fun point of view, I think that would be that would be fab. <laughs> and you, you're all working in really kind of innovative spaces, almost, you know, creating new markets in some cases. How do you keep that sort of innovation alive within your businesses and let you you people have the freedom to do what they want to do? Because as you grow, sometimes that can get stifled. Um, so this actually sounds like quite a boring answer in terms of, um, you know, allowing people to be able to, you know, try new things and, um, you know, fail possibly and then, you know, learn from those villains and then obviously change and adapt. But um, spending time up front putting some really solid systems and processes in place, it sounds very boring and it sounds very almost quite controlling. But if they're in place and they're in place with innovation and growth in mind, um, and we all know what we can do and where the mark, you know, where the mark is and, you know, where we can, and the, the freedom that we have within it. Personally, I found that that's great for, um, staff members to go out and, you know, research new ideas and, you know, test them out, bring them, you know, bring them back to the table. And, um, obviously, um, and that we will then analyze them and then decide what we're going to do with it going forward. So it's definitely given that freedom to be able to do that, but within it, with, within measures that we, that we've already kind of predefined um, as working towards the specific goals that we have at the time. And I think, again, I mean, it sounds like a bit of a broken record in terms of the network being important, but within my sector specifically, I'm making sure that I'm at the events and the conferences that where there's lots of new things happening. So in terms of renewable technology, it's changing. I mean, day by day, it's changing. So trying to trying to keep on top of everything that's going on in the world is, is really tricky, but just making sure that I'm at a few key conferences that I don't sign up to too many newsletters, just a few, you know, just a few important ones. And again, the same that we were talking about on with the podcasts. So there's one 
podcast in particular that I listened to with, um, about renewables called um, Beta Talk, which is, is brilliant and it's really sort of accessible and easy to understand from like a, a layperson's terms. Um, so, and, and in CRBI, how, how do you do that, Owen? How do you kind of keep keep people fresh and keep them innovating within the business? Uh, so we, kind of, within any software company, it's general within the project management cycle to have stand-ups. Um, different companies do it differently. So some will have like one stand-up a day. I think Google's go-to is three a day, one start of the day, mid-day, end of the day. Um, so we do them uh, differently throughout the week, but uh, usually one a day. Um, and some days we do two. On the days that we do two, one of them focused on innovation. So it will be kind of bring a new uh, bring some news, what's a new research paper that you've read. Um, every single one of those two-day um, stand-ups, someone has to bring, everyone in the room has to bring something. So it's understanding the markets going on. We kind of started doing it um, when things like the everyone started talking about AI. There's lots of news articles out there. People started developing with it. People were doing new interesting tools. Microsoft and Google were blowing up. So it allowed us to kind of have a resource available there that could go out, research, understand the market and bring it all together. So I by implementing that, we can't implement it because we had to, but it's kind of become a core part of the business now where um, everyone's reading all these things. Uh, I think a really a really good part, as we mentioned there, is the, um, the conferences. So we always go to Thinking Digital um, based in Newcastle. There's an amazing conference. Um, 6th of July. How do you think tickets are available yeah, if you Google it? And yeah, um, the other one, Herb runs um, the TEDx Newcastle as well. Um, we listen to TED Talks all the time in the office. So yeah, being a part of those conversations, um, as well as the uh, Entrepreneurs Forum events as well, just knowing what's going on in the market and feeding it back to the team and making sure it's not just kind of bringing these resources to the team. It's having a critical view on them as well. So okay, someone's brought a tool that says it's developed by AI. Is it actually, we'll all deep dive, take a critical look at it and try break it down as much as possible. Um, is, yeah, it's kind of a lot innovation to be a core piece um, every single week but i really like that so so you do a, a meeting did you say twice a week and uh, people stand up and sort yeah. of stand around the whiteboard and <laughs> and how long would that meeting last uh so usually stand-ups are uh, well everyone's supposed to have three minutes um so the general stand-ups are around project management so the uh what i everyone stands up and says uh, what are you currently working on what were your problems yesterday um and what are you going to be doing for the rest of the day? And everyone does that in an open audience. Um, so you do that. And then we could do it at the end of the day as well, depending how the day's going. Um, uh, but then, yeah, if we have two in a day, then the second one will always do that innovation meeting as a part of it as well. I really like that. So I like the idea because it will give people in your team. It's the fridge. I keep talking to this and other businesses here, but it's not a part of other sectors, but it's That's a nice yeah, stand-ups. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it gives your team, doesn't it, an opportunity. If they're going to go, it gives them the emphasis to go and do a bit of research but it gives them a purpose for that because they can come and present it and it may be useful but they'll also understand why it's not useful if you park that idea that they've come up with yeah it's definitely yeah it the, yeah, the, the stand-up thing is a core part of how we... It's part of the... Going back to the culture question as well, mm-hmm. that is a huge part of it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been a thing in software development for 10, 15 years now. Um, it's less of a thing in data science, we found. I was talking to other data science businesses that are more research-focused. So we kind of sit in the middle ground of software development that's deployable and the research bit of data science and melding the two together. Um, is, yeah, and all your staff based in an office. So when you have those stand-up meetings, they're there and they can just walk to wherever the location is where you stand yeah so we well we do allow our staff to work from anywhere but we've had a weird phenomenon we found where everyone just wants to be in the office anywhere and i think it's, it might be because of the stand-ups i should, I should probably ask well <laughs> but yeah, everyone likes to be in the office uh so yeah everyone stands up around the whiteboard uh, we have done a few virtual as well so if i'm working away then i'll call in for it we have a big tv in the office where people can call in but we like to do them in person and yeah whiteboards we have like three rolling whiteboards in the office and two walls covered in whiteboards so they're usually full of interesting stuff Someone well i can imagine if you run a data <laughs> company yeah. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of kpis and numbers on those whiteboards at all times yeah the kind of the permanent whiteboard where nothing changed on there and all the other ones are everyone gets angry because people wipe whiteboards away and we had a <laughs> problem with cleaners for a while wiping whiteboards like please don't wipe our whiteboards anymore <laughs> get rid of our ideas yeah. but it's a great way of spreading the load in terms of mm-hmm. staff bringing their ideas rather than yeah. them expecting you to be the one yeah. as the leader of the business to always be generating the ideas and yeah, that's, that's a really 
so much great way of doing it um, during other days I'm just having that as a resource and we don't we don't set an allocated time of okay you go look at innovation for an hour it's just we know as they're doing software development they'll scroll through Twitter and see something interesting and just keeping it as part of the culture to make a note of that and tell us about it because mm. I want to know about that cool thing too <laughs> and Joanne in your business how do you get those ideas from the team do you do stat and stand up meetings I mean it sounds a great idea um, or how do you you've got a little office within your um, office because I've been down to um, Anfield Plains where you're based yeah. how do you run your meetings with your team so that those ideas can come out yeah so we do um, a, a couple of things we do have like a weekly team meeting and that can be quite boring I suppose in some sense because that, that might be normal operational so where we are billing cash that type of thing we're quite open about what the KPIs are and we do share them with the team um, for more um knowledge sharing um we we do do like away days so um at the beginning before like our accounts years like the 31st of march before the end we'll go away and set the strategy of anything changed going forward and everyone will have an opportunity to speak and we use anthony brown for that so he's like a facilitator so ask some really good questions and we then come out with where everyone's had a contribution or an idea that they want to run with we can we can implement that um and we make sure we keep on top of those actions in the weekly team meeting as well I think what's been really interesting, which is when we talked about earlier about the platform that we were looking to do, that's not really been myself and Lee thinking of that. It's, it's something you have thought about going like in the past, but it's not never nothing's really ever happened. And Graham, part of the team, he's really pushed that. So it's almost like, well, you could set up another business and push that, and he can have part of that business. It was his idea. He's really pushed it. He's worked with the software company and got the good deal that we can work in joint venture with them. So letting them run with that, I think so, like making sure that there is an open forum to come up with ideas. Um, then we've got Roger as well, like more so on the innovation side and saying his clients really got a really good idea. I think we should really go and help support them so having like Lumo Innovations to be able to support that business and take that forward so that's mainly Roger and we all contribute to it but that's his idea so again Roger can have part of that business going forward so making sure there's those opportunities that won't fit for everybody I realise that as your team grows so we have like project leads so if we've got a good idea have a project lead chairing that team and getting input from everyone else um, is, is where we go and do that weekly and um, keep on top of those type of actions so yeah no, it's, it's good making sure that everyone's happy to contribute now, Amy in your business you'll have a load of field engineers yeah. which aren't office-based they'll be based all around the region and in how do you get or do you get everybody together at any opportunities and how does that work in terms of communication when you're all over the place yeah so we um, so everybody, yeah, like everyone works all over the place. Um, but we, so, um, we, I don't know if anyone's ever read the book Four Disciplines of Execution. It's a brilliant book, really good. I mean, qu quite intense and a bit, it does get a bit nerdy, but, um, it's in terms of it really, it, it, it's a very specific process about hitting targets, hitting or achieving what, what, what the class is a wig, which is a wildly important goal. And so since reading this book about two and a half year ago, no matter what, everybody gets together. It's only for 30 minutes a week. So no matter where anybody is in the region, we get together. It's 30 minutes. And it's another team meeting to talk about, like you were mentioning, um, Joanne, about, you know, processes or operational things, because that can happen at any point. And it's not necessarily everybody, everybody doesn't need to necessarily be in that. But we have a, we call it a WIG meeting. Um, so a wildly important goal meeting. And depending on what that goal is, um, obviously that changes depending on the season and so we will say so this is our goal this is our company goal and this is going to be crucial for the next six months or three months or however you know however long it is and we all have so we all say what are we going to do to move the lever essentially so what are we going to do individually two things that we can do this week that is going to help us move closer towards that goal and they're, they're called lead measures and so we go away that week we do that and then the week after, the, the following week we come in and we're all accountable so we have an, it's, it's our accountability meeting we talk about the uh, if we if we've achieved the um the tasks that we've set ourselves so i don't set them tasks for anybody everybody sets their own tasks so it's and if we're struggling on what that task might be to help move the lever essentially um, we can all help each other and come up with ideas but it's down to the individual to think of their own ideas so they take ownership of it and you've got to be prepared if you haven't hit it to obviously stay in front of all of your teammates while you haven't hit it and so nine times out of ten you know it's, it's, it's everybody sticks to it and it just having that weekly meet is and um, getting together 
And even if, you know, even if it's, say, for example, it's a, a revenue related target, there's still ev- something that's, you know, everybody can do to help even maybe help another team member. And we, we never let it go over 30 minutes. So it's strictly 30 minutes. So no other conversation can happen other than the conversations around the goals that we're achieving or that we're trying to achieve at the time. But it's, it's a really, it's, it's dead straightforward, dead simple. But it's, and it's you know, routine. And I bet people it, now it, look yeah. forward to it. Yeah. Because they, they're they like, I've done my task. Yeah, you, you do. I mean, even if it's the night before, you know, you know that you've done it for that week. And so it forces you to, you know, it forces you to step up really. And because we know it's 30 minutes, it's not going to go on forever. It's not boring. It doesn't, you know. Well, it's advancing the business every week mm-hmm. from what it sounds like. But it's also giving employees some real-time feedback that they're making a difference every week. Yeah, and it just reminds us. So it's so easy. We've all done it where we've, you know, we've had targets up on a board. And we, you know, at the very beginning, we're all crazy motivated. And we work towards it. And then time progresses and the targets are still up there and nobody's looked at them for ages yeah, unless the cleaner them. comes in um so it's just a good way to keep keep ourselves you know just remind ourselves what's important and the idea between wig as in wildly important goal is that there's a hundred and one of the things going on and they're all very important but let's just carve out 30 minutes every single week to talk about our most important goal at that point and keep up keep our mind on it excellent and it's the communication that sounds like it's key as well in Mm -hmm. that kind of business where you've got people who are very spread out yeah keeping the communication going we did you know throughout covid we obviously did it remotely and it was fine but it's much better having everybody together and and you know just 30 minutes a week and that's all that's all we need and then everyone can go off and do what they need to do elsewhere good so we often have um those are brilliant advice, by the way, and we'd encourage anyone who's thinking of starting a business to put those types of, pro- or at least think about those types of processes as you grow into your business. But if you are a, we will have listeners here who are sat there in a, perhaps a corporate organisation or a university thinking about setting up a business. Is there any advice that you would give to them if they're at that point of making the decision, do I do it or not? Just get something out there to begin with. Think, just start on the process. Um, think a lot of people, the, as I do quite a few talks at Teesside University now, come, come back now, but a lot of people come to me and say, okay, I have this idea that I want to develop this piece of software and I need to find the right team, I need to find this, I need to find this. It's like, no, just find someone that's technical, build it, get the worst version of it out there and mm-hmm. see how people react. Because if you sit on the idea too long, either someone will do it before you. Um, but yeah, the faster you can get that validation, the faster you can change the idea and come back to it later on as well. So just get something or anything out, um, even if it's just a simple web page or um, just talking to people about it. So validate it through getting it out there and getting real-time customers to give you feedback because it will probably go in a different direction anyway. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be customers, just like letters of support or anything like that. Um, it's kind of what I did with CBI of understanding the maritime market, getting some free, getting some of the freelance work and things like that before starting the business was knowing there is a problem to solve rather than spending two years trying to build something and then um, kind of losing passion in it because you haven't put anything out there. But yeah, the faster you get something out there, the faster you can pivot and find the thing that works instead. I was just going to say, I would agree with that. If they're thinking about doing it, just do it. And you probably can do it quite cheaply without having to think like you've got to have like the perfect idea because it changes so much every every year um something changes or every week something changes so yeah i would agree just get it out there just do it particularly if you're in the service sector where there's quite limited setup costs yeah. it's quite easy to start a business it's maybe more difficult if you're manufacturing a product oh, yeah. to do that yeah. Yeah. yeah you can i'm just echoing what you guys have just said there you know you can go on you can google like what do i need to set up a business and you're going to get you know hundreds of thousands of different opinions the easiest way to get ready is just to start with it and then you realize what you're missing and then you realize you know maybe what you're good at and you know where your skills lie and then where you maybe need to bolster on their mm-hmm. help and support so yeah, absolutely you just got to get going with it yeah i think so there are lots of really easy ways to start as well just like it could just be go if you want to develop some software for an accountant just go to a networking event where there's lots of accountants go and question them would you use this kind of software that does this 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 mm-hmm. and this is a start um, and just doing simple steps like that, um, building up to it. Great go. Yeah, we often say the best way to motivate yourself is to start. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you don't need to be motivated to start. You've just got to find some sort of like 
you know, focus them somewhere and get going and then the motivation follows. Yeah, you're going to make like 10 million mistakes before you get there anyway, yeah. so yeah. get that way. And That's even when you start, I mean, you're all several years into your business, or, I mean, you're nearly two years, it's not perfect at oh, any stage. It doesn't need to be perfect to start. It will never be perfect and you'll never be ready for the next stage and the next stage, but you're just going to go for it. Well, I think you'd be bored if it was perfect. Entrepreneurs like challenges and problems to overcome. That's what makes it interesting. And how how do you all stay motivated? I, I don't. I, 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 at the very beginning, um, I think I mentioned I was so crazy motivated and that lasted for about a year. And then I realized quite quickly that that's not a, you can't, you know, you can't run on motivation alone because, you know, motivation, it, it varies. Sometimes you're motivated and sometimes you're not. And so I think you know, after after the first year, when I start, you know, when the business started to grow and we start to take on staff and um, all the problems that come with growth, I start to think, oh god, this is actually much harder and less exciting than what I, it maybe was in the you know, say the first six to twelve months. And so I think it's then when you need to really focus on like resilience and um, learning how to get up um, out of bed every day and do the work that isn't as fun and that isn't as exciting. Um, and that's what. I think often that's what can kind of not make or break a business, but certainly take you from one level to the next is getting comfortable with being really uncomfortable with the boring stuff or the stuff that you don't like doing until you've got enough um, money or the right people in place to be able to delegate those tasks on to. Um, so. so how do you make it interesting then, Amy? Sort of getting up every day, you need to be really passionate about what, what you do. What, what makes you have that passion about the business? Yeah, so again... I think it's if you're having a bit of a slump and the easiest thing to do is just hide away and just focus on the day-to-day or the operational side of the business because it's safe and comfortable and you know you don't have to see many people I think that's when you when you, you've got to notice that you're in that little bit of a in that little phase and you've got to force yourself to go out and chat with other people and you'll always come you'll always come away from you know a conference or an event feeling so glad that you've done it you're never going to regret doing it it's like going to the gym sometimes you really really can't be bothered to go but you're really happy that you've done it afterwards or going for a long run or whatever like it's finding it's not just having one motivation it's you're finding your different motivation as you go through your different phases of your mm-hmm. business yeah um like it, it, at the start it's always going to be um there's this big idea i want to do and i'm going to be motivated you'll get to a point where then i think you'll be motivated by fear for a little bit yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> things will go wrong you'll be motivated but okay i have to fix this Absolutely. thing i have to go um and then yeah like kind of the phase we're in now i said we're looking at raising seed investment um, and going through all that journey and it's um coming back to the original phase of being excited about what the business can do and explaining that to people um so yeah finding different motivators and um, it's not yeah i don't think there's ever just one motivator throughout it mm-hmm. um there's i mean there's like the the wider family stuff as well of like wanting to um definitely be able to say we're getting married um, soon as well so wanting to like do well with the family and i have way too many animals to not bring money in um <laughs> dog, two cats taught us is, yeah, need to feed all the animals um <laughs> we're gonna do that <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say similar. I think um, if you, if you, not everybody can be at their full strength every single day, I think, um, but making sure that you can spot it in yourself if you do need a little bit of time and the team spotting that as well because they all step up and um, not. it's very rare that all eight of you can all be at the, the, the same uh, strength every single day. So I think it's just like, right, okay, well, we'll pick this up if that's not quite working and having that support of the team. Um, I really enjoy that. I love being in the office. It's really good fun. I think that's like a major part of it and then I think for me as well like my little girl like she's mm. like what, what have you been doing today Mary and that type of thing that that's motivation because she's interested she loves coming in the office if she's not at school for whatever reason um and just being around um the team and ha- having a bit of a bit of fun and things like that so I think that's the motivation and working with the clients we work with like it, it is really interesting it's not just about tax and getting some money back you like really learn about their businesses and being involved like in, in so many different different sectors mm-hmm. that's really yeah. really motivational you always find like someone really interesting to talk to yeah like the, the meeting interesting people and doing interesting yeah. things is a huge part of it because I yeah, when I finished college I travelled for a bit as well and, and I got a job and went into uni and I kind of a bit of passion died there because I was just yeah sat in a uni classroom learning things so now being able to travel to London and go places and we're going, we've won Innovate UK funding to go to Canada and traveling around and things. It's yeah, finding motivation that way. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you've got to be careful as well, because I think 
So, I mean, especially once you've been in business, business after a few years, I think it's important for new entrepreneurs to know that motivate, you know, it's like you said, you do have times where you, you, you aren't feeling great and you're not motivated. And so I used to spend time thinking, like, how do I get motivated? How do I stay motivated? But then I realized that it's not motivation, it's discipline. It's about thinking about what you really want from this and you know, how it's going to feel if you don't do it or, and so it's, and there's loads of, um, I mean, again, there's lots of different books. So if I'm again having a slump, I can, I can just Google podcast about discipline, podcast about, I mean, atomic <laughs> habits. I've read it like God only, so whenever I really feel like I need a bit of a kick up the arse, I read atomic habits and I'll get two chapters in and then that's it. I'm, I'm away again. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're coming to the end of this conversation. I didn't really want it to stop because I've really enjoyed it. Um, but we do have a question to ask each of you before we wrap things up. And that is, we started at the beginning of your lives. We're going to move on. We're not saying that 70 is the end of your life. I certainly hope not. But we're going to imagine that we're at your 70th birthday party. You can each imagine what that's going to be like. Um, all your friends, family, all your pets. I mean, we're going to be on the farm yeah. at Owen's 70th birthday party because he will have, he'll have a zoo by then, by the sound of things. So at the zoo, Owen, what, I mean, the animals can't speak, but if they could speak, <laughs> what would they be saying about your life? Um, have have an impact on a few different industries is what I want to get to. I think um, right now, fo- focused on tech and maritime and all of that. But um, yeah, having an effect on lots of different things in the moving world is a huge part of my passion right now. Um, and yeah, hoping to see that I I did it well enough to have an impact on that because important. But yeah, I don't know. That'd be lovely. All, all the cats it? and dogs and <laughs> tortoises were around as well. And your annual little girl is giving a speech. Yes. Oh and God. saying, obviously, she'll be proud of her mum. Yes. What, what will she be saying? Well, hopefully that she's been able to say that... Um, being in a in a business it's it's a nice place to be happy um that's the the main thing and i think but making a difference to to lots of different businesses supporting them through their r&d journey and making sure that they get the funding and the finances that they need to be able to grow their business and being involved in so many successful um r&d stories would be would be, be really good um for the for the whole team not just myself but it would be for the whole team that we've we've made a difference yeah yeah, I was dreading this question as well. So, um, so what would um, what would people be saying? They'd be saying it inside my huge multi-million pound mansion, probably off the south coast of France. Um, and I'd be surrounded by lots of really close friends and family. And I would, you know, I would hope that the kids are, you know, proud of, you know, what, what, you know, what I've done, but also that I've been able to help and set them up in whatever sort of careers or businesses they want to go off into. Um, but it's what they want to do as well. So, um, and I hope that the, um, you know, that we, we were able to really continue to sort of strive forward within the renewable sector and be part of the solution around climate change, as opposed to where we are, where we have been currently for the last 17 years in the gas industry. Um, and so I'm hoping to, you know, that we'll, be somebody who's living in an eco villa (laughs) absolutely in the south of france i'd like to come to the party make a note Um, well that is wonderful thank you very much for the conversation i think that um 45 minutes or so we've been talking has absolutely flown by thank you for your honesty and your contributions thank you thank you Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Tune in next time for another exciting cast of entrepreneurs.